Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. We pray that you grow in your walk with God through this message today. So prepare your heart and mind for this teaching by our student pastor, Kobe Freeman. Well, good morning, church. What a great time of worship together. I think this was Christine's first Sunday on stage, and she gave us a great opportunity to want more of Jesus. Hey, thank you so much for being here. Uh, My name is Colby, and I serve as our student pastor here on staff. And I'm going to ask something. Before we get started today, I need a little bit of help from you. So I was having a conversation with my best friend, who is a pastor up in West Virginia earlier this week. And we came to the agreement that every Super Bowl Sunday, Youth pastors everywhere are struggling to put the words of a message together on Sunday because they always get asked and tasked to do this. So uh, that was a joke, but hey, I do want some help this morning. So once again, my name's Colby. I'm so excited to be with you in worship today. Uh, Every chance that I get to be with you all is very special and unique for me. I greatly appreciate this opportunity. God allows for me to lead our next generation of this community, sixth graders, yeah. You guys are too kind. Our uh, sixth graders through 12th graders, and I love what I'm able to do for the next generation. However, this church has given me ample opportunity to communicate and to share across multi-generational platforms, and that means so much to me that you're here today and you are ready to receive something from God's word. Hey, in case you haven't been with us in a while, last week we kicked off a brand new series called Finding Your Way Back to God. And Adam did a great job of setting the tone for what we want to accomplish in this series. He walked us through the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 and how we all long for more from life when God really has all we need. And my prayer for today is that we better understand what exactly Finding our way back to God looks like through another biblical story, through other biblical examples, and the characters involved. Before we do that, I'd love to share a quick story with you. So about a month ago, my wife Savannah and I were driving back late uh, one night from vacation, and uh, we, we traveled halfway around the world and back in a matter of five days. I don't know how I convinced her to do this, but we were exhausted. Uh, The jet lag had caught up with us, and and we just couldn't get home fast enough. Not only all this, it was dark, it was raining uncontrollably, it was cold, and something happened while we were on the way home. We get two-tenths of a mile from our house where we live. I turn on my blinker in preparation to turn. I pump the brakes getting ready to once again turn my wheel to the right. And suddenly, there is this large deer that comes out of nowhere. Imagine out of your peripheral vision, a large head and antlers just charging into our vehicle. A collision takes place and our Huey Magoo wings fly everywhere. You can imagine. Let me show you a picture of what it looks like or what it once looked like. I just got my car back on Friday. This happened about five weeks ago. So uh, this was the damage done. 
And um, let me just say that if you need any professional hunting needs, I am at your service today. <laughs> Not only that, but I've been driving a church van around downtown Milledgeville and everywhere else <laughs> for the last five weeks. And so uh, if you need a professional driver, come find me. I could probably use the extra cash. Just kidding. Hey, we were fine. By God's grace, nothing happened other than the damage done to our vehicle. And I've been told, you know, if you live here long enough, you are inevitably going to hit a deer. You are constituted as a local Millagevillian when this happens. So if you haven't hit one yet, you will in the near future. So thank you for sharing in my misery this morning. However, that's not the point of this story. We're so close to home. And church, I want you to know that some critical decisions were made before we reached this point in our experience. So funny enough, I'd actually considered stopping for gas before I made that turn on the road where we hit the deer. I said, you know what, I'm just gonna wait till tomorrow. I'm tired, it's cold, I don't wanna get out of my car. Not only that, but there was a four-way stop in which you might judge me for this. We had to turn before arriving at our home and you know, you get to the four-way stop and you kind of do the, the glance at the other car in the other lane and I totally just cut right in front of them. Didn't even give them a chance to go ahead of me. However, they had stopped well before I did. Is that the deer? That's good. <laughs> Anyways. Hey, if you're curious at all, this was at the intersection of Jefferson and Log Cabin. So if you're here at church today, Please forgive me for cutting you off, but I may have just saved your life. At this point, we're having way too much fun right now. Uh, at this point, I'm on the phone with 911. I'm catching my breath. I'd never hit a deer before. I was making sure Savannah was okay. And then there comes this thought that just crept into my mind. Colby, what if you had stopped for gas? What if you would have been a respectful driver and not cut off the other person at the intersection? Immediately, this familiar feeling of something we all know as regret entered into the picture. For weeks, I replayed this scenario in my mind thousands of times. What if this? What if that? See, I allowed for this experience to stir so deeply that I felt it in my soul so much so that at one point it was affecting my day-to-day -day life. I mean, you drive a church van for five weeks and you start going insane. I'll just put it that way. Ironically, long before this moment took place, I mean, we're coming back from vacation and I was on the calendar to bring a message to you all about regret well before any of this story had taken place. I love how God orchestrates these moments in the life of a pastor. You can't make this stuff up. Before we go any further, get to get more serious and really start to unpack what this thing called regret really means. And if you're curious how we might define, here's my just brainstorm idea on what it means to be regretful. Being regretful means that we are sorrowful, sorrowful from something we wish to change. One more time, sorrowful from something that we wish to change. Let's be more specific. I'm not sorry, you know, I'm not regretful that I hit the deer, I'm more sorry that it happened because how can I control a freak accident? But consider this, 
I do regret the decisions that I could have made in order to alter the outcome of my experience. Anybody ever been there before? This has ever happened to you. I've got a sermon in the sentence that's right up your alley, and here it is. Regret isn't a circumstance that we can reverse. However, it's a story that God wants to redeem. In case you need another definition, uh, here's an example from the Bible that describes regret perfectly. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7.10, for, God, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads us to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Churches, my preparation for this message took place over weeks and weeks. I want you to know that my heart aches deeply for those in the room who have been either paralyzed by regret from their past or something that they wish they could change in their life. When you start to unpack and study what exactly this looks like in our lives and through the picture of the Bible, it is heartbreaking and gut-wrenching stuff. Perhaps you've walked into our church for the first time in a long time, and uh, what's kept you back from being in this place is a mistake. Maybe a bad relationship or a bad memory you have. Maybe even a fear that what's been done in your life can never be undone. We're gonna talk a little bit about that momentarily. I want you to know, before we go any further, that we serve a God who's in the business, always has been and always will be in the business of life change and transformation and redemption. Come on, church, if you believe that this morning, we want to find our way back together. So this is true of this audience today, uh, myself included. It's also true of the audience we read about in Scripture, so much so that there's another set of stories I'd like for us to hear from today, and we find it in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 26 and 27. So ironically, we read about uh, Matthew's experience from someone's perspective who was once a Jewish tax collector. He was actually employed by the Roman government in order to take money from his own people. However, that soon changed after a radical encounter with Jesus. I like to imagine that as Matthew records and he retells this gospel, that he can't help but crack a smile because he's been there. His radical experience altered the course of his life forever, so much so that he could change the course of his destiny when Jesus came at the intersection of it. He knows exactly what Jesus wants to do in our lives, and he knows exactly the process it takes. So today's text, we see sort of the tale of two disciples. One character whose regretful experience ultimately led to his uh, redemption, restoration. There's another character whose regret was so heavy that it ended his life. Let's read together. It'll be on the screen behind me. Matthew 26, verses 34 and 35. Matthew tells us that Jesus says, truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter says to him, even if I must die with you, Jesus, 
not going to deny you. All the disciples are nodding their head and saying the same thing. And this is the beginning of a story that we've all heard before, an encounter between Jesus and Peter that's on the cusp of his crucifixion and in the middle of his trial. However, before we stop here, let's go back a few verses. Matthew 26, verses 14 and 16 tell us about someone else. Matthew says, then one of the 12, whose name was Judas, went to the chief priest and he said, what will you give me if I deliver him, Jesus, over to you? They paid him these 30 pieces of silver and from that moment on, Judas was seeking to betray Jesus. Two famous stories Two famous characters from scripture, both facing a crossroads that will define their place in biblical history forever. Ultimately, we arrive at two entirely different outcomes, but we find this common ground among the theme of regret. So, if you're here today and you've ever asked yourself, I don't have anything in common or what could I possibly have in common with characters of the Bible, I want you to be rest assured Each and every one of us can resonate with these experiences of regret. Because of that pain, here's something I want us to understand together. Takeaway number one from this message is regret leads us to a moment of rerouting. Regret leads us to a moment of rerouting. Much like when we go off course from our GPS while driving, we find ourselves at a certain point along the way in our journey that we never expected. Then there's this alert from Siri that reminds us that something isn't quite right about the direction or the course that we're in. If you're a basketball player, it's what happens when you're dribbling with the perfect move, but you're suddenly stopped by the defense. Here's my favorite illustration. If you ever watch Friends and you imagine Ross taking that couch up the stairs, everybody knows the word, he was forced to, okay, he was forced to pivot, exactly. You may be looking at a problem with your car for weeks, you try to fix it in the garage and with each passing day, there's a new mistake made and it's getting more and more expensive. Perhaps you have had math homework and it's kicking your tail. And sure enough, you've refused to see a tutor or stay after school, and then the day of the big test arrives, failure ensues. And then we are disappointed by how badly we performed on this test. See, each of these moments that I just described to you all begin with a signal that something has gone wrong. And in some instances, Sometimes it's just too late. This is where the arrival of regret takes place in our lives. In other words, rubber meet road. In my own life, uh, pretty transparently, it's pretty regretful when I use a tone with my wife that I really shouldn't have. Or if I'm uh, not honoring my parents or those who are closest to me with my words and with my actions. And to this day, I still pray that God would forgive me for who I was in high school. Thank the Lord that you guys didn't know him. And I want to ask, is there an experience for you that comes to mind? The good news is that no matter where we hear the signal going off, 
the alert telling us that we are off track. We have a choice in the matter. And there's a person who can help us reroute towards a path that leads to righteousness for all people in all circumstances. This leads me to my next takeaway. Regret, if you're taking notes, leads us to this point of return. We just talked about in the initial stage what um, the feeling is of being struck by what's gone wrong and what we've caused and the ripple effect thereof. Then we kind of come to this understanding that the choice that we've made is now in our hands. An action step is required in order to begin this new pursuit, whether it be uh, redeeming this situation or continuing in the ripple effect. I want you to be encouraged today that this is the moment, the point of return, where the good life seems possible yet again, despite our regret. Some of us may arrive here. Others in the room have uh, gotten caught in the crosshairs of their own heartbreak, and it's this devastating cycle of grief and sorrow, despair and heartache. There's a decision in the room today that's caused, uh, altered the course of someone else's life. I'll give you a few examples. Maybe there's a relationship with unfinished business in the room. Parent, sibling, spouse, friend, coworker, etc. Ask yourself, what hard work would it take in order to redeem these types of bonds? Not only that, perhaps you've totally wandered from faith altogether. Either you've dropped Christianity entirely or you're a practicing atheist or you found yourself deconstructing your faith so much so that you hardly know what's left of the rubble. Maybe the service is the one that will define whether or not you stay involved in your local church for the rest of your life. My prayer is that we would all hang on tightly. Imagine families obliterated by decisions made on one person's behalf, generational curses that you may know all too well, crimes committed that are irreversible, perhaps even the loss of a child through Planned Parenthood has gone unaddressed in this room. These types of things happen every single day where time is lost, pain is extreme, and all hope seems lost. I want you to know that God's heart is breaking for us as we grieve the mess that whatever we've done by getting ourselves into. But I hope that you will take hope that this is nothing new to God. He has seen humanity fail forward in more ways than one, even up close and personal with his disciples. Let's keep reading. Matthew 27, verses 3 and 5. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests, the leaders of the church, and the elders, saying, I have sinned, I'm betraying innocent blood, I don't want to do this anymore. They look back at Judas and say, what is that to us? See it to yourself. The deed is already done. There's nothing you can do to change it. Judas then throws down the silver into the temple. He departs, he goes out and he hangs himself and ends his own life. Matthew 26, 
verses 69 through 75. A famous story. Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. Servant girl comes up to him and says, you also, you were with Jesus the Galilean. Peter denies it before everybody saying, I, I don't know what you mean, I don't know what you're talking about. In 71, he went out to the entrance and another servant girl sees him and she said to the bystanders around the room, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denies it with an oath. I don't, I, I don't know this man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you are this guy because your country bumpkin accent betrays you. He began to invoke a curse on himself. He swears, I don't know the man with all he has. And immediately, the rooster crows. Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Despite this tragedy, Peter goes out, he weeps bitterly. Verse 75 really tells us all we need to know. He, he cries to a point of exhaustion. Peter feels far from God, but the fact that we know he is weeping beyond a measure he has ever experienced, little did Peter know that is when he is closest to the heart of God. When he knows what he's done is wrong. Meanwhile, Judas ending gives us the evidence that regret that's undealt with can lead us to life ending, death, or a weight that we just cannot keep hanging on to. Here's my sermon in a sentence once again. Regret is not a circumstance that we can reverse. As a matter of fact, it's a story that God wants to redeem in this room. Allow me to ask, has anybody in here ever heard the uh, rooster crow of conviction in their own life? The signal that you've gone too far, or done something that can never be undone? It's not a good place to be. Funny enough, the uh, vacation that Savannah and I shared recently was to a destination that had roosters everywhere. You cannot make this stuff up. No matter what time of day we went out, where we visited, there was a rooster present in the beach, in the mountains, downtown, and he always made himself loud and clear and present among us. And by the end of the trip, I hoped I'd never hear another rooster crow again in my entire life. Yet on our way back home, two-tenths of a mile, this deer charges at our vehicle and it makes me rethink everything that I've ever done in my entire life's choices, causes me to pull over and look at the damage done to our vehicle and what could have potentially been done to us. And in that moment, I heard the rooster crow. The cold, dark, pouring rain. Except this time, I was the only one who heard it. See, Peter vows to serve God in the most righteous of ways, but can never hold up his end of the bargain. 
So much so that he's in utter denial of faith before Jesus' life has even ended. The servant girl, the bystanders, among others, heard Peter's rejection of Jesus and his own country bumpkin Galilean accent, which was a dead giveaway, yet he still holds fast to the lie that he does not claim Jesus as his own. Immediately, this rooster from Jerusalem crows, and all the signal and alarms go off in an earlier conversation with Jesus, a prayer of sorts, which comes flooding back into Peter's mind. Peter cusses at himself, and he weeps to a point of pure exhaustion. However, take hope, church, that, that when the rooster crow of conviction enters into your life and alerts you that you've gone a little too far, we are still not that far gone. The Bible makes this clear. It doesn't hide the fact that Peter and Judas made these mistakes. And if we treated our lives in a similar fashion, it's true in, in this room as well as in Scripture that all saints are sinners. We all have something that we're dealing with in terms of regret in our life. Our final takeaway is really only true opportunity we have to address it. Takeaway number three. Regret leads us to repentance. You consider Judas into his own life. I actually don't think the sin of regret is what ended Peter's life. You know what it is? It's the sin of giving up. It's the sin of thinking what we've done can never be undone, and then we disqualify the power of our God when we think this way. Sure, Peter denies Jesus in a cold-hearted fashion, but he doesn't give up. It leads to his forgiveness and his restoration. Meanwhile, the bag of coins is so heavy that Judas ends his life. The tale of two disciples. Tell us one thing today. The cry of the rooster isn't signaling the end of our journey. It helps us come back to a starting point with God when we are finding our way back to Him. He can redeem us too. No matter what price of pain that you've paid, here's how we know. 2 Corinthians 7.10, once again. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads us to salvation without regret. Worldly grief produces death among us. No matter where you come from today, let's respond this morning by living a life that is proactive to the response of the rooster crowing in this room. Even when it feels like we are all alone, just look around. Look at Matthew 26. God is with us. God is for us. And he deeply desires us to find our way back to him, despite what we'll have to journey through. Scripture says that no one is too far gone from God's loving kindness, which leads us to repentance. Look at Peter once again. Look at Judas. Look at the prodigal son. Look at us. It's a matter of our willingness to not give up. Let's pray together, church.
Heavenly Father, we, we come to you this morning just um, fully transparent and truthful about what we've done and who we've been and how we wish we could change all this stuff in our life. If there's somebody here who hasn't set foot back in this place for quite some time, or somebody here who comes every week faithfully, God, we all know that we stand at the same point before you. Our good works are filthy rags in comparison to your riches. God, the only thing that can justify us is the man in the middle, Jesus, your son, who took it all on our behalf so that we don't have to experience regret to a point of death. As a matter of fact, God, this morning we want to experience regret that leads us to repentance so we can come running back into your loving arms. Jesus, you're so good. We thank you for this church. We thank you for this opportunity to have honest conversations and to say prayers that we might not typically utter otherwise. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at northridge.online.